0: Welcome to Overtime, I am Denton Day, you can call me D-Day, at the Denton Day on the Twitter machine. We are going to start this evening's show with two no's and a yes, two no's and a yes. No, the Washington Wizards should not attempt to trade for Kyrie Irving. No, Kyrie Irving is not worth the mess that he is going to bring to this organization. Over the next couple of hours and the next couple of days, if you go to social media, you are going to see people very critical of Kyrie Irving, but you are also going to see people calling Kyrie Irving a complicated individual. Kyrie Irving is not complicated. You know exactly what you are getting with Kyrie Irving. He is a wizard with the basketball. Pun somewhat intended for our D.C. audience. He's a wizard with the basketball. I mean, when you talk about his ability to handle the ball, his ability to attack the rim, to create his own shot, to finish at the rim, he's one of the best, most beautiful basketball players that you will ever lay your eyes on. But you also know that off the court... He is a disruptor. Now, sometimes disruption is a good thing. But oftentimes, if you are trying to build culture, the disruptions that Kyrie Irving is going to bring to your franchise and into your locker room is going to do significantly, significantly more harm than good. I marvel at watching him play basketball. He is, it's almost frustrating Because he is so good. And if you were to sit me down and say, Denton, you are going to be locked in a room for 12 hours and you're just going to watch Kyrie Irving play basketball, I'd be perfectly fine with it. Because on the floor, he is exactly what he thinks that he is. It's the -the off-the-floor stuff that is going to be a problem in New Jersey or Brooklyn now and wherever he ends next. And that's not a problem that Tommy Shepard and the Wizards should be willingly signing up for. They'd have to give up a significant amount to get him because it's been very clear that the Brooklyn Nets management is not going to get lowballed for their superstars. They stood their ground this offseason, they are not going to get lowballed for their superstars. Why would you give up a ton of assets to acquire somebody that you know is not going to stay? And even if he does stay, he's going to ruin the culture that you are attempting to build up in your organization. If you're a fan of the team, the Wizards, stay away from Kyrie Irving at literally all costs. We've seen this with three organizations. And it's not just that he comes in and he ruffles feathers and he leaves, because a ton of guys in the NBA are going to ruffle feathers. But it's the fact that he comes in, he ruffles feathers, and then he leaves the organization worse than where he found it. You can come in, be a great player, and leave the organization, and everything can still be good. A perfect example is his counterpart in Kevin Durant. He went to Golden State, won a lot of championships, and left Golden State. Granted, did he leave it better than he found it? Maybe not. It's a high bar. Golden State was already the cream of the crop. They had Kevin Durant. But he certainly didn't leave Golden State significantly worse than where he found it. Whereas Kyrie, he dips out of Cleveland, burns just about every single bridge, says a lot of bad things uh, about the organization, about LeBron James. I mean, remember he was doing this media tour When he was, I think it was when he was his first season in Brooklyn, where he's talking about how he had to apologize to LeBron because now he understands what it means to be a leader, which that in itself is laughable because Kyrie, at least from my vantage point, has never been a leader inside the locker room. But he left Cleveland worse than he found it. He went to Boston, and what a disaster that was. Boston fans can be a little ruthless at times, but a lot of the anger they have towards Kyrie Irving seems to be justified because he left that organization worse than where he found it, and now he's doing the same thing to Brooklyn. What is going to get lost in a lot of this, I don't think that Kyrie Irving actually wants to leave Brooklyn. He's doing this because he wants a contract. The thing is that Brooklyn has already offered him a contract. They offered him an extension, but according to Shams Charnia, who told this to the Pat McAfee show earlier this afternoon, The contract that Brooklyn offered Kyrie Irving had stipulations in it, and Kyrie Irving did not agree to the stipulations. I don't know what those stipulations are. Shams did not say what those stipulations are, but if you know the history of Kyrie Irving, it's pretty easy to guess that those stipulations probably had to do with playtime. And there might have been a stipulation in there that said maybe stay off social media, a little bit more frequently I don't think it was anything crazy but my guess is they're asking him hey if we're going to guarantee all your money we need you to play a certain amount of games you cannot do these sitting out back-to-back games because Kyrie Irving has been pretty vocal about not loving back-to-backs at one point I think he went on a podcast and said they were inhumane I would disagree I think they're tough I don't know if I'd call them inhumane But Kyrie's not a fan of back-to-backs. My guess is those stipulations had to do with availability, which is something that Kyrie Irving has been, shall we say, hit or miss. I'm not going to say 50-50. He's a little bit better than 50-50, but he's a lot more hit or miss than most other superstars. If you are Washington and the trade deadline is approaching and you feel like you're one big move away from catapulting yourself into contention for the play-in, and taking yourself up to potentially the top four in the Eastern Conference, you don't go after Kyrie Irving. But I told you, we are going to start this show with two no's and a yes. I've given you the two no's. It's overtime with Denton Day. I've given you the two no's. Don't trade for Kyrie Irving. No, Kyrie Irving is not worth it. Yes, Tommy Shepard should call about Kevin Durant. The Wizards organization should get their ducks in a row and call the Brooklyn Nets about Kevin Durant. If Kyrie wants out, if he's going to split, Kevin Durant's likely going to follow. He doesn't want to play in Brooklyn alone. They lied at the beginning and said they loved the culture of the Brooklyn Nets organization, and that's why they want to be there. That's not true. It wasn't true then. It's certainly not true now. Brooklyn was just the only team back Uh, when it was time for Kevin Durant to split and Kyrie Irving to leave Boston, Brooklyn was the only team that had enough money to get both of them that also was not the New York Knicks because the Knicks were an absolute train wreck. So Kevin Durant's not going to want to stay there. So you might as well bring him home. I mean, for the third time in like six years, hashtag KD to DC is back alive, folks. We are back in business, baby. Hashtag KD to DC, part three. And you know what they say, third time is the charm. If you get Kevin Durant here, the perception of the Wizards completely changes. Right now, the Wizards, at best, are the third team in this city. At best. People don't like talking about the Wizards. There's some people right now that are in their car, in their family room, wherever you're listening. We appreciate you listening. But wherever you're listening, you're rolling your eyes. You're like, Denton, get off the Wizards. We care about other things. People don't care about the Wizards in this town. They're going to care if Kevin Durant's here. If you've been to a Wizards game recently, and when I say recently, I mean like since 2016-17 when Wall and Beal were on a different level. If you've been to a Wizard game in like the last six years, not a lot of people in the building. And if there are a lot of people in the building, they're wearing the opposite color. That changes if Kevin Durant is here. Not only does Kevin Durant make your team better... Which I do believe. Right now they're going to be fighting for the 10th, 9th, 8th, potentially 7th spot. I like the roster the way it's constructed right now when all three uh, of our pseudo big three are healthy. But right now they're fighting for the bottom of the barrel in the play-in tournament. If Kevin Durant is on this team, they're catapulted at least into the top six. And you might even be able to argue into the top four. They wouldn't be immediately better than Boston. They would not be immediately better than Milwaukee and they probably wouldn't be immediately better than Philadelphia. But if it comes to Washington versus Miami and Kevin Durant is on the Wizards, I think they can take that. Miami's a good team. I don't see Miami as this uh, far and away great team. If Kevin Durant is here, you go ahead and you can pencil that Miami in as a win. And you're a top four team in the Eastern Conference, something that truthfully, truthfully, a top four team that could really contend, they've never been in my lifetime. I was born in 95. They've never been that in my lifetime. Never approached 50 wins, flirted with it once in that 16, 17 year. But it's never really felt like they are a legitimate contender. That changes with Kevin Durant and the entire perception of not just the organization, but of Tommy Shepard himself. It is completely flipped up on its head if Kevin Durant finally comes home to Washington, D.C. So yes, Tommy Shepard should be calling the Brooklyn Nets for Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant does not end, in wa- end up in Washington, where does he end up? Plus a little bit of information on the teams that Kyrie Irving could potentially look to pursue in a trade. That comes your way next. It's overtime on 1067 the fan with Denton Day. Overtime on 1067 the fan. I am Denton Day at the Denton Day on Twitter. Chris Haynes is adding to the Kyrie Irving, so a slight correction. It seems like the stipulation that was the holdup with Kyrie Irving not accepting a contract extension with the Nets was in relation to winning a championship. He didn't say exactly what it was, but my guess is if you win a championship, you get a lot more money in the contract, whereas if you don't win a championship – it does not become fully guaranteed or something along those lines. I don't even know if you can add a stipulation like that. And if that is something that the Nets are going to do, my guess is that's going to be addressed in the upcoming uh, or the next CBA negotiations when they take place because that does seem a tad bit extreme. But hey, the Nets brought Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to Brooklyn under the assumption that they wanted to play together for a championship. And having seen both of them compete for a championship That does make sense. I am of firm belief that the Wizards should do everything in their power to go after Kevin Durant, but I do understand the reality that Kevin Durant has said on numerous occasions that he does not really have uh, intentions of playing in Washington, so the question then becomes, if not Washington, and if not Brooklyn, if this really does blow up in the face of the Brooklyn Nets, where does Kevin Durant end up landing? I think from an NBA fan's perspective, which I do consider myself, I mean, I'm a Wizards fan first and foremost, but I am a general NBA fan, and from an excitement level, it's hard to to turn away from the idea of Kevin Durant joining a team like the New Orleans Pelicans if Zion Williamson is healthy. That had been a discussion point this offseason when Kevin Durant initially asked for his trade, The idea of seeing him and Zion Williamson share the floor together, I mean, it's picture perfect. It is your chef's kiss of an NBA immediately. The excitement, which has already been kind of high for New Orleans, at least at the beginning of the season, it gets ratcheted up about 10 levels because you have two of the most exciting players in the NBA. People don't like Kevin Durant. There's still like a small section of people that don't like Kevin Durant. Because of the Twitter stuff, Uh, there are people that are still holding on way too long to him joining the Warriors in spite of the fact that that, I mean, at this point, people, if you're still holding on to that, that was damn near 10 years ago. It's crazy how fast time flies when you hold a grudge and you missed out on great basketball because Kevin Durant with Steph Curry was beautiful. I'm sure in his heart of hearts, Kevin Durant does look back and think to himself, man, those times are really nice with the Golden State Warriors. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to play with Steph Curry again, especially considering how this Kyrie thing ended. But if you're not going to go the Warriors, like the Pelicans make sense. They have the assets to trade for Kevin Durant. I mean, this is what they've been doing for so many years. You build up all of these draft picks, the multiple years with multiple first-round picks. You can send half of the, the the accumulated draft picks that you have in your back pocket still be set for your future, and then also have Kevin Durant and Zion Williamson. You might lose Brandon Ingram in the process, but if you're toting a lineup out there with KD, with Zion, and with somebody like CJ McCollum, who I think's had a tremendous year in New Orleans, that's a pretty damn good unit. The Western Conference is tough, but you can get through the Western Conference if those are your top three guys on the floor. It's a lot of shooting, It's a lot of offense, but Kevin Durant and Zion Williamson, they play good defense. C.J. McCollum isn't exactly a defensive stopper, but he plays adequate defense. So you cover a lot of the bases if you happen to have those three guys while also not doing what uh, general managers uh, say that they hate doing, which is mortgaging their future. I'm beginning to hate the phrase mortgaging the future. It transcends all sports. I've heard it in the NFL the NBA, baseball, I'm sure people in the NHL and maybe even Major League Soccer say it too. You never want to mortgage your future. But New Orleans has so much draft capital that they could get Kevin Durant and still not mortgage their future and then pair him with Zion Williamson and at least give it a shot. And if you're Durant, I mean, you tried the thing out with Kyrie Irving for two to three years, uh, healthy two to three years at least, it didn't work, why not try it out with Zion? The, the Phoenix Suns are going to be in this as well because they also have the amount of assets that they could trade to Brooklyn while also completely not tanking Brooklyn's season. You can get them a couple of draft picks. You can move a couple of pretty decent players to play alongside Ben Simmons. I don't think the Ben Simmons thing has gone beautifully in Brooklyn, but it has gone very similar to how I would have anticipated. Like If you were to talk to me and pull me aside in July of 2022 and then explain how the Ben Simmons thing was going to work out in Brooklyn. I would, I would agree. I'd say, yeah, that that's, I could see that happening, but if Durant's going to leave him going to Phoenix and playing with Chris Paul and potentially helping Chris Paul get his first ever championship would be something that excites the NBA. Wouldn't excite me that much kind of over Chris Paul. I recognize the OG. I respect a lot of the things that he's done in the NBA But he kind of rubs me the wrong way. He rubs a lot of people in the NBA the wrong way. And I kind of don't mind seeing him lose in the NBA playoffs every year. That's just me. That's just me. There is also the potential that Kyrie goes to the Lakers and you see a reunion of Russell Westbrook with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant likely does not want that. If you've watched Russell Westbrook in the past 18 months, uh, the Russell Westbrook that we had here in D.C. was the last decent version. Of Russell Westbrook, and I did. I didn't really love Russ in DC. It's also why I don't want Kyrie here. I don't hate watch guys. I've made a conscious effort to not hate watch guys in the NBA. I want to be more positive, but there are guys who I just don't enjoy watching, or I just maybe uh, don't want representing my franchise. Not a huge Russell Westbrook guy. I think he's a fine, a fine enough dude. But I, just, I, I don't know. There's some about him. Not a huge Russ guy. If the Wizards, the team that I support, had Russ one year and then less than three years later have Kyrie Irving, I I, I might give up on the Wizards. i got to be honest. I don't like to think of myself as a fair-weather fan, but I've been through enough torture with the all of the teams in this city. Having Russ and then going to Kyrie in a span of like three years. That would push me over the top. That's that's something that I don't need. You can chime in on this conversation. Do you think the Wizards should go full blown balls to the wall after Kevin Durant? 800-636-1067. You can tweet at me as well at the Denton Day. But coming up next, we'll shift topics to the NFL Draft. The East West Shrine Bowl was on Thursday. Rhett Lewis, NFL Network, was on the call. He's going to join us next. It's one zero six seven. The Fan Overtime with Denton Day. All right, so Rhett Lewis is here with us. He's on NFL Network. He was on the call uh, for the East-West Shrine Bowl yesterday and again at X M Draft Central uh, every Thursday, 7 p.m. on uh, Channel 84. Uh, Rhett, first of all, appreciate you jumping on with me, my man. Um, talk to me about the East-West Shrine Bowl. I thought your broadcast yesterday was excellent. Uh, what did you see in the game that really stuck out to you?
1: Yeah, thank you, buddy. Uh, always great to chat with you. Uh, gosh dang broadcast professional uh, you are. And so I appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me here. Excited to talk to my friends uh, in the DMV area, um, in which I was a part of for a couple of years. So, look, from the Shrine game, I think, you know, obviously what we take from this is not the fact that no one scored a touchdown in the game, which was unfortunate. Um, we take that you know maybe the commanders could use uh, some kicking help, and Jake Moody might be the best kicker in the draft. Nailed two from 51, two from 35, was four for four, blasted home some kickoffs, and, uh, yeah, might be available, like, might be a day two type of guy. So I don't normally give kicker analysis to <laughs> but, you know, just in case, uh, it's something to file away. Uh, as, far as, as far as, like, guys that really kind of jumped out, Xavier Valade from Arizona State uh, in terms of running back depth, a guy that was extremely productive both on the ground and through the air at Arizona State. He was the best running back in the group uh, from the game performance. And then defensively, there was a bunch of guys that really stood out. Dante Stills is the name that you're going to hear as an interior pass rusher from West Virginia. Uh, You'll also hear the name uh, B.J. Thompson, Caleb Murphy from Ferris State, B.J. Thompson from Stephen F. Austin, a couple of small school dudes that can get after the passer with some extreme athleticism. So just a couple of guys that jumped off the page, Uh, but I will tell you this, the highest drafted dudes from this game will be Zay Flowers from Boston College, could be a first-round pick at wide receiver. And Keitrell Clark, a cornerback, might be the best nickelback in the draft. From Louisville, uh, is definitely a top fifty type of uh, type top fifty type of player as well. Uh, they did not play a bunch. Uh, they, in fact, only practiced once during the week. Keitrell had a great practice week. He he played a, a fair amount uh, in the game, um, but uh, made some plays all week. So those are kind of the guys that jumped out.
0: Now, I do got to be honest. I know you're a, um, a very diverse. I did not expect kicking analysis right from the start. Yeah, so this kicker must have been great.
1: So, look, he's the back-to-back Big Ten Kicker of the Year. Um, you know, as, uh, as you, you've heard us talk about uh, on the airwaves uh, a few times as well. So, yeah, Jake Moody is a fantastic kicker. I mean, like, he, is, he, is the, he might be the dude at kicker this year in this draft. And he was fantastic in the game. He was fantastic in practice. And, look, the, the cool part about it was that his long snapper in the game and his punter-slash-holder in the game, they all trained together. The long snapper, the punter, and Moody, the kicker, they all trained at the same training facility, so their operation was flawless. Like, they were on target. And so um, it, was, it was really cool to see. Like, that was probably the most, like, well-oiled machine part of that entire game.
0: So Tell me about Keetra Clark because I look at Washington yeah. in particular and they could use a little bit of help in the secondary, specifically at the cornerback. What does he bring to the mm-hmm. table? Is there anything that you learned about him specifically this week that you weren't aware of yeah. leading up to the East-West Shrine game?
1: Yeah, so he's got outside-inside flex, which I think is a really important piece of the draft evaluation profile for a cornerback, right? You want, you know, a lot of guys will pigeonhole into that nickelback role, p- pigeonhole, he's got to be an outside press corner, or he's got to be a, you know, a vision coverage, zone zone coverage type of corner. Um, Keetra L. Clark kind of proved that he could do it all. He is a fiery competitor, um, and he was one of those guys we, when we were talking to the uh, West team, or rather the East team defensive staff uh, from the Atlanta Falcons. Frank Bush was the defensive coordinator. He was like, the first thing I told these guys was that it's not about talent. It's about skills. And, he, and Frank told us, he was like, Keetra Clark's eyes lit up because he is obviously a very talented guy, but nobody has ever hammered home to him that you can be as talented a corner as there is in this draft class but if you don't have the refined skills you're not going to match up and you're not going to be a success so he really worked on the skills and the tools that this Atlanta Falcons coaching staff really tried to instill in him in the meeting room put it out to work on the field both in the practices and then in the game which I thought was really cool
0: how has the East-West game kind of evolved since you've been a part of it? I mean, I think it really has elevated in, in recent years. Where have you seen the sure. changes where you've allowed guys, you know, like Akitrel Clark, to to, to elevate their yeah. games throughout this process?
1: Well, they've done a great job getting great players, and, and that's one thing. Being a part of Pro Bowl week in the Pro Bowl city, I think, is, is huge for notoriety. It's, it's huge for um, just overall interest in the game. It's the only tackle football game of Pro Bowl week. <laughs> right. Since the Pro Bowl is going to flag football. So, um, you know, we felt pretty, pretty exclusive in, in that regard. And then, you know, this year they had full coaching staffs, a privilege that has usually been reserved for the senior bowl. This year, an agreement was made that it was now going to alternate the shrine and the senior in alternating years. We're going to get the full team coaching staff. Um, and that's been a real plus for the Shrine Bowl this year. I think uh, it was a real clean game in terms of execution and installation of game plan. So those are kind of the three main areas that I think the Shrine Bowl has really taken off. Plus, you're playing in an NFL stadium, one of the best in the business at Allegiant in Las Vegas. You know, coming from uh, the Trop down in Tampa, massive upgrade in terms of venue. So it was uh, they, They've done a real nice job.
0: Rhett Lewis, my guest here on Overtime on 106.7 The Fan. I'm Denton Day. You can find him on Twitter, at RhettNFL. Rhett, talk to me about the offensive line. It's another area that Washington is likely going to address in this upcoming NFL draft. When you look at this class, is there a specific player or position that really stands out among the offensive line?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, all-star game season has given us a glimpse of some guys that we'll have to, you know, continue to learn a little bit more about. Uh, John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota, I think, is one of those. He's been pretty dominant, from what I understand, down at the Senior Bowl. I haven't gotten a chance to go back and watch the tape uh, yet, but he was already considered the top, you know, one of the top, if not the best, center in this draft class. Uh, certainly a guy that uh, could find his way into that, back of the first round, but feels like a top-50 pick. Uh, for sure. And then, look, the tackles, you know, that's where where the money's going to come. And, you know, for my money, it's Peter Skaronsky of Northwestern, who, you know, is a left tackle by trade at his time in Evanston, but could kick over to the right side and then I think could also play guard. So, you know, if you're going to spend a top 10 pick and, you know, you feel like you maybe have your tackle situation, at least in the near term, figured out, you could start Skaronsky at guard and then let him grow into a tackle spot, uh, either on the right or the left, you know, when you feel like you really need to. So I think that's a real value pick. And he might just be the best overall offensive lineman, you know, in this draft. And then you've got, you know, guys like Paris Johnson from Ohio State. We'll probably hear his name called in the first round. Uh, Broderick, i blank blanking on his last name from Georgia, uh, is going to be up there as well, uh, really high. And so – You know, those guys, obviously you're going to want to spend a higher pick on a guy that you're going to kick out there on the edge as a tackle. Um, You know, Washington's done it before and gone with a top-ten pick on an interior offensive lineman like Brandon Sheriff. You know, he's one of the best in the business. But, you know, in today's game with the money that you're paying up there in the top ten, you know, you've got to eventually, I think, see some tackle in a player like that in order to kind of merit using a pick that high on a player like that.
0: I know it's impossible to predict, I mean, we're early February, but do you think that we will see some of the offensive linemen potentially off the board in the first 10 picks?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Skaronsky a top 10 pick all day. Um, and uh, I think, you know, at this point, to me, he's the first lineman off the board. And, you know, he probably wouldn't have been. Um, I think Olu Fashenu from Penn State might have, uh, might have been the first offensive lineman off the board, but he decided to go back to school at Penn State. So we'll see him next year. Uh, but, yeah, I think, uh, think you get. I think you'll probably see two, you know, if not three, offensive linemen off in the top ten. It's just it always happens. There's just such a premium on finding those guys.
0: Rhett Lewis, my guest here. Rhett, just a few more for you quickly. Um, I know you're big on quarterbacks, and a lot of people are paying oh, attention yeah. to the quarterbacks in this draft class. Uh, among the top 4 your uh, Strouds, Bryce Young, Levis, and, and Anthony Richardson. It, first of all, is that your top four, and where do those guys kind of fall yeah. if they are?
1: Yeah, so you know, for me, it's, it's Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, and Hendon Hooker. And I think I'd have Hendon Hooker higher if not for the ACL injury uh, that he suffered late, game, late season against South Carolina. Um, I love Hendon Hooker. And I, I don't know, like if, if we continue to get like favorable reports on his recovery, I, you know, I might put him up there you know, ahead of Anthony Richardson, who I think is a, is a bit of a projection. Um, and you know, he has shown that he is capable of doing things that are required of a face-of-the-franchise type quarterback in the NFL, just not consistently enough to feel great about that early on. I still think he's going to go in the first 31 picks uh, on night one, and the other three guys might be gone in the top five. They're for sure gone by the top seven. So we are going to have quarterbacks off the board much earlier and much more often than we did a year ago, when Kenny Pickett was the only first-round QB.
0: Have you started like really seriously diving into the film watching?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, for that first episode of uh, Draft Central, you know, I really wanted to go and watch. You know, these quarterbacks. I wanted to watch their uh, their their tight window throws. I wanted to watch their deep balls. I wanted to watch their pocket presence. Um, you know, and their, their ability to operate in a hostile environment in the pocket. That was one thing that kind of threw me off a little bit with, with Levis and with Anthony Richardson. I feel like at times, because of their elite athleticism, that they can be uh, what I would call courageously oblivious um, <laughs> to some pressure um, because, one, they don't care that they're about to get hit. They're big bodies. They'll take it. Like, I mean, there's a, hit, there's a hit against Florida in a game that which Will Levis played really well in, um, where, you know, he just, he doesn't, he's a right-handed quarterback, and he is dropping back, and he's got a free rusher, not at his blind side, coming off the offense's right side, and it's almost as if he didn't see him. Or if he didn't see him, he didn't care. He got his head knocked off, like, literally, his helmet came off, but Levis was no worse for the wear. Gets up, shaking his head, like, okay, is that really the best you got? But I'm like, all right, that's great, but let's get rid of that football, right? Let's get rid of that football. Let's not take that hit. Um, so, you know, those are some of the things that I think, you know, you, you like to see from quarterbacks to try to figure out. Um, you know, it's one of those things you have to figure out once they get to this level. And um, you got to understand where the rush is coming from and where your, you know, where your outs are, right? So uh, there's some times where you'd like to see Will get rid of it um, in a different fashion than he did but he's got athleticism to make up for some of that, and so does Anthony Richardson. I think Bryce Young you know, does a really good job getting out of trouble and minimizing the hits on, on what is a very narrow frame. Um, you know, that's just, that's just going to be one of the talking points. It just is what it is. It's the facts. C.J. Stroud got some work to do in that area too, but he's a much bigger body, and you feel a little bit better about the durability there, even though Bryce has been pretty durable in his career.
0: Um, final one for you here. Who are you going to, what position yep. group, if there is one, are you watching this week? Just to kind of get a keynote. Yeah.
1: So for episode two of Draft Central, I did top five players with all star game intrigue, like guys who could really raise their name in terms of the level of conversation that they're having within their respective position group. Uh, Keith Clark, by the way, was one of those players, and he, yeah. he definitely did uh, rise um, in, term, in my view based on his week at the Shrine Bowl. Um, you know, let's say a, um, a guy like uh, Keanu Benton, uh, who was on that episode, also fits that mold. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about guys who just balled out. You know, the top five best all-star game performances. And then the week after that, uh, for episode four, we'll dive into the wideouts. That's next on deck. So once we go back and digest all the tape from the practice week at East-West and at uh, Senior Bowl, then we'll start diving back into the more traditional uh, position group rankings and then you know combine will be here before we know it
0: and those wide that wide out one that's going to be an episode that everybody got to tune in for because there's quite a lot of talent at that particular position sure uh, ret greatly appreciate the time i know you have been running all over the place this week so i appreciate that you my coming out for us man uh, looking forward to the next episode of draft central on thursday we'll see this again soon all right
1: sounds good the great day appreciate you buddy <laughs>
0: That is Rhett Lewis, NFL Network. He hosts SiriusXM's NFL Draft Central. It's Thursday on Channel 84 uh, at 7 p.m. and it's available on the SiriusXM app. You can find him on Twitter at RhettNFL. Good enough to join us via our BetQL guest hotline. It is overtime on 106.7 The Fan with Denton Day. Coming up next, I want to react to a little bit of what Rhett said there, and a couple of names that Commanders fans might need to pay attention to. Plus, we'll open up the phone lines. Where do you think Washington should go in round number one? Should they spend their first overall pick on a tackle? Should they address the secondary? 800-636-1067. 800-636-1067. You can tweet at me as well. We're back next on Overtime with Dent Day.